here and that kind of thing and we spent a lot of time up there with a gentleman named Wayne Scott and I would talk to him a lot about parenting and that kind of thing when we were up there and Wayne Scott said to me one day he said Steve he said I wish I'd have spent more time talking with my children about mate selection and how to uh, evaluate and give them guidance and direction on their dating and and that kind of thing and Choices that would make principle that they had that sort of thing. So, uh, Annette and I made that a priority as we, as we parented, and as we thought about this class and all, I thought it would be really helpful to um, have some uh, <coughs> couples that have done this or or that are in the middle of doing it, just tell you about what their experience has been as they've talked with their children, and, and some of them have seen them get married, and some of them have yet. To, uh, see them get married, and just some of the discussions that they've had to hopefully maybe give you some guidance and direction on things you can do with your children as you get to that point or your grandchildren. So, so that's, that's where we are about this. But I'll tell you, um, you know, all of this, this eventually comes, stems from the fact that you, you know, you start off with the, the girlfriends and the boyfriends and the dating and that kind of thing. Jim Bellini's going to talk a little bit about that when he gets into his uh, part about raising a large family and how, how do you do that and um, family worship in a large family and that sort of thing. But probably one of the greatest areas of uh, potential parental child conflict is how do you deal with the, um, the relationship you have with the boyfriend and the girlfriend, and how, how do y'all communicate and understand each other about this, and this is where it, where it all leads to, see. So I'll, I'll start off telling you a little bit of a story about Jeannie Robertson. Anybody know who Jeannie Robertson is? <clears throat> Jeannie Robertson is a good old North Carolina gal, and she tells a story about traveling in the airport, and overhearing a conversation between a mother and her daughter. Now, that's Jeannie Robertson's about 60-something years old. And she said, I've been on both sides of this conversation. I've been trying to guide my daughter, and I've been the daughter trying to be guided. See? And uh, the conversation revolved around whether or not Mama liked the daughter's boyfriend. And the daughter's trying to convince the Mama about what a nice young man he is and how much potential he's got and how kind he is, and how wonderful he is. And finally, the daughter gets just exasperated that she decides to play her last and her best card. And she says, but Mama, he is a wonderful boy. Why else would he be doing 200 hours of community service? So we don't always see eye to eye. Getting to that point is, a, is an important part of the process. Okay, now, what the format's going to be is that each of these couples is going to uh, speak for about six minutes or so on um, their experience just from their heart and from um, their experience, and then hopefully we'll have some time for you all to ask them some questions or to respond to what they say. So think about what they're saying from the standpoint of how'd you do this or why'd you do that or something like that, okay, and, and there's no real random word, I'm just going to sort of pick on them in um, any way I want to, I'm going to be the referee or the moderator, okay, let's pray and we'll start, Father in heaven, thank you that you give us guidance and direction, 
that you are never uh, leaving us or forsaking us. Thank you that you give us uh, direction and your word, principles to go on. We just are so grateful for that today. We commit this time to you now. We pray that it will be fruitful for all those here. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Bob Vogel's got notes in his hand. Why don't we start off with the Vogels here? Okay, um, stand up there, buddy. Oh, no. <clears throat> First thing I wrote down was, uh, use scripture to teach the basic truth, don't marry a non-Christian. And uh, so I just found, there's many verses, but uh, the one I picked was, um, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of God. Um, <clears throat> Not everyone who claims to be a Christian is actually a Christian. So, in applying this verse... Have your kids memorize it. But implying this verse, you need to have them evaluate the character of the person that they're dating or wanting to date and see how they measure up. Um, and also, as you do that, you can come up with some list of things. You know, would this person be a good person to be the <coughs> spiritual leader of my home? And so um, the other thing that goes along with this is, or a outgrowth of this verse is if they don't marry a non-Christian then it goes without saying that they don't date a non-Christian because that's one of the purposes of dating is to getting to know someone uh, so they may date someone who claims to be a Christian and then find out later well <laughs> this guy's um, he's got the confession but he certainly doesn't have the walk so then they're you know you encourage them to break it off at that point um, let's see important here is to be sure that our children uh, know Christ. Um, if um, you want to save them for Christians, but if they're not a Christian, then they shouldn't be um, seeking to marry a Christian because that would also create an unequal yoke. Um, the second thing is modeling a Christian home. Um, you want your kids to desire a Christian home. But if your home isn't desirable, or a marriage that they would like to reproduce for themselves, well then what you say will fall on deaf ears. Um, so you need to be modeling a Christian home, and it's important to pray um, with your children, for your children, about everyday situations. Sherry used the example of being out with the kids and uh, going to grocery shopping and wanting a parking place that's close to the entrance, and so she'll pray for a parking space, and sure enough, there it is, and see, see kids, see, God answers prayer. So, if they see that you're trusting God for the little things throughout life, then as you pray about bigger things, it just becomes a way of life, and they begin to do it. Um, pray with and for, also get other people to pray with and for um, your kids about their spouses. Um, Steve invited us to join a group before all of our children that were in the group before they were married to pray about some basic um, issues that they would have to deal with. One, is, of course, is marriage. One another one would be life's work. Another one would be uh, just going through um, the trials of later teenagehood and so forth. And so our kids knew that we were in a group that were praying for them. So we get all these prayer requests. Um, hey, I got this big test tomorrow, have your group pray. And so they knew that they had this resource, you know, of praying people. And they knew that who they were. And so if they wanted to see, check out mom and dad, see if we were giving good advice, they had that group of parents that they trusted, that knew they knew loved them, and we could reinforce each other. So modeling in the Christian home, or modeling a Christian home, and then emphasizing the importance of prayer. Um, 
the importance of putting Christ first in their life before they consider marriage. Talked about that, and then open communication. We tried to keep the lines of communication open and positive as they mature. Um, and of course, they knew that um, that we were praying with and for them. Tell them how old Esther and Joel are. And um, they're <clears throat> married, and they're both married. They have they're raising Christian kids, and they are. Um, let's see, twenty nine and thirty. 32 and 31. 32 and 31. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, they're up there. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs> he missed out on a couple years. <laughs> all right, all right. Let me cuss him a little bit. Okay, Nels, I'm going to skip down to you here. I think many of you know Laura, my wife. I want to start out being this, this class. She has not left me. She uh, is in the nursery. Otherwise, she'd be here as well. Uh, if she was smart, she would have left me a lot of years ago. But I was definitely marrying up when I married. Uh, this book has probably been one of the things that has not only guided our family, but also uh, one that I study as much as I can. And I can show you everything that I've learned about raising children. Right here. <laughs> okay. uh, I guess the first thing, and I've got nothing dramatic to say, but the, uh, the first thing is to uh, uh, really just say that something that I stole from, I'm really stealing from somebody I heard here at Covenant uh, not too long ago. My marriage is not a contract. Uh, everybody else, we have contracts. You can break a contract. Uh, there's going to be penalties, anything else. But marriage is a covenant, uh, which is totally different. Uh, it's a completely different animal uh, by every way, shape, and means. And I think, I wish I would have heard that a lot, a lot earlier because I would have loved to have been able to tell all three of my daughters that. Uh, I guess the one thing that Laura and I started doing, oh gosh, 30 years ago, by the way, I have three daughters, 44, 42, and turning the traumatic 40 this year. One. And by the way, that's why I'm bald, too. If three girls, it will cause it every time. But uh, uh, if they didn't look like mom, I wouldn't have to worry about it. But uh, the thing is, is that uh, uh, well, the very first thing is, is that, that from uh, we've been praying for their spouses uh, before we knew them. And I was able to, on uh, that night before the weddings, be able to say that, tell their parents and uh, them both in that speech that Dad is supposed to give uh, on that night, uh, that we have been praying for them before we even knew them, and that they were being raised in Christian homes and raised by Christian parents. Uh, uh, it's, uh, it's one of those things where you don't know many times uh, as you're raising children if you're doing it right. I mean... Laura and I were only children. We had no siblings. Uh, and until we came to this church, we really didn't have many, much guidance at all. Didn't really have anybody to turn to from the standpoint that, how did you do it? What did you do? How did you do it? We've, uh, there are many, many, many Christians that were in this church that are now saints that, that I turned to 30 or 40 years ago uh, when we first started coming to Covenant. And uh, I was only three at the time, of course. <laughs> um, but uh, so definitely pray for the spouses that your children either have met or are going to meet somewhere in the future. Uh, there's no silver bullet. Many, buddy, maybe many out here, uh, if you're younger, some of the younger folks, uh, want something that's going to be perfect. Every time when a child gets to be about 13, uh, I think all of us, probably all of us had it as well, as it's a disease that hits 13-year-olds, and it's, it's of the eye. And you can tell when it hits, because instead of worshiping the ground you walk on and hanging on every word, when you say something to them or get into a lecture, their eyes kind of roll back. They look up in the sky like this, like, oh, no, another lecture. That's a disease that comes up, and when you talk to someone that's in love, heartfelt love, they, you don't understand that. Uh, and you start asking them questions, they're, you know, they're, they're not going to have answers for it many times because it's, uh, it's a whole different story. Uh, 
uh, fathers sit down with your future son-in-laws or possibly your future son-in-laws. I had one, I've learned as much from my daughters as I have uh, from people in this church. And I had one daughter tell me one time, Dad, I just, if, if I date somebody and a second time, second time I, second time I'm out with them, I'll say, can I marry this man? And if I can't say I'm going to marry him, I'm not going to date him anymore. And I thought, she's a heck of a lot smarter than I ever was. You know? And that, once again, comes from the better half of this family that's not here. Um, I could have wrote clearer. Oh, from here on out, being that you're younger people that are taking this class, and young parents, uh, after this, I'm sure you feel and you realize you will never, ever, ever have another problem with your kids and showing them who to date, what to date. You'll have all the answers. And if you think that, you might as well leave the class now because there are no answers. Uh, uh, I've got the privilege of being called uh, Grandpa. What? Eight times over now. And... Uh, the joy that that brings, having three daughters that have given that to me. You have the privilege, the men, when you get married, you have the privilege of being called father, uh, like we call our father. And what I would say is just turn to him as much as you can. And don't think that this world is, uh, like they said, you can date a lot of guys that say they're Christians. And uh, you can, uh, or in my case, guys. You can date a lot of girls that say they're Christians as well. But uh, this is Satan's world, and he does not have to work in the folks that are still in bed, in those families. He doesn't have to work uh, on tearing apart families that are already in divorce, in the middle of divorce, or anything else. He's going to work right here in this church. Any church that is very founded in the Word, any people that are saying and outwardly saying they're Christians, that's where Satan wants to work. So he's going to find really nasty ways to get in on it. And uh, uh, one of the best ways to do it is to get in on with, it your, with your children because there's no way to hurt a Christian more than seeing their, their ch children suffer. And uh, people, everybody in here probably knows what I'm talking about in one way or another. And uh, that's all I've got to hand out. <laughs> Thank you, Nils and Laura and uh, Absentia. John and Karen, why don't y'all go next? You I'll just go first because I have some obvious things and he has some practical things. Um, three statements from a college professor. Accept God's forgiveness for your failures. Trust his enabling for your weaknesses and give him glory for the successes. And I put that in quotes, really. I love louder and use your teacher voice. <clears throat> Start over? Mm -hmm. I don't think they were here. Accept God's forgiveness for your failures. Trust his enabling for your weakness. <clears throat> and give him glory for your successes. Um, it's important for young people uh, to want God's choice. I mean, if they are not reared in a situation where they... Um, they're not going to come into this world knowing that they want God's choice. And so training is going to be the important part for a lot of you that are that young. And you already know that, so I'm going to try not to be redundant here. But um, we want them to no longer live unto themselves but unto Christ. And that's exactly the way he has trained us and the way we have to model that. And they have to see that as a husband and a wife, that we are loving each other and we are um, trying to model with them the training that the Lord has done in our hearts. We have to have clear objectives and, and ways that you can actually check this. For instance, listening to their prayers or listening to their questions or um, <clears throat> watching them with their peers, how they react in a situation or seeing them in, in an authority situation over them. How are they reacting? Are they learning to live unto God? Are they still living under them, unto themselves? Um, share God's word with them through different experiences. I think it's such such an interesting <coughs> verse in Judges 2.10 that says that the next generation after those that died in the wilderness, 
they did not know the Lord or what he had done in Israel. When you think of all he had done, you think, wow. They, they must have said absolutely nothing about what God had done for them. So um, we have experiences, and through God's word, we can pass this on to them. For instance, if they're having trouble sleeping at night because of dreams or something, then Psalm 4a, I will both lay me down in peace and sleep, for thou, Lord, only makest me dwell in safety. And use verses that they can um, say and recite when the devil comes and bothers them, even at whatever age. I think it's important to speak of family marriages. My parents were divorced. My grandparents were divorced. All but one aunt and uncle was divorced. Seven out of eight cousins were divorced. I think it is very important to key them in from the time they're born of what is out there and why. In two of the situations, it was a believer marrying a non-believer. So that would be a very key thing to, to jump on, um, to share that with them. Uh, with whom do they spend their time? That's very important. You can certainly control that. Um, who are their friends? Even on teams, um, who are the pe people on the teams that they play on? What are the parents like? Um, and I think that's a, a key issue. Thankfully, um, our children's <coughs> best friends all went to this church. And I think I could almost say their only friends went to this church. And... Um, the same, and they went to Lakeland Christian, so they had friends there. So that was not a, um, a real issue, but I have talked with many people where that's a very sad issue of who their best friends or who they were allowing them to be with. And then church involvement. Uh, to reinforce all that you're trying to do at home, uh, goodness, we don't have any pastors any better than what we have, and Sunday school and youth group and missions conference, hearing the missionaries, all of those to me are very important to make sure your children come to. Um, age at which they marry is not as important as purity. That's my thing. We were both 30, so we assumed our kids would be old too. But that was, that was not the case. 21 was one child, 22 was the other but um, we wanted them pure, and they wanted to be pure when they married. And so we didn't say you've got to finish. They, they finished college, but we didn't say you've got to finish college before you can get married because purity was an emphasis for us. Again, I'm, this is supposed to be individual, so that's something for us. Um, don't assume that a person that your child is dating is going to be their spouse. Uh, I made a big mistake in assuming that after a three-and-a-half-year dating um, and so I not just assumed, but then I started pushing that, the, yes, this is the person, you're wrong, blah, 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 on somebody else. So without going into any more detail than that, um, I will just say, uh, let, the, let the child who has a relationship with the Lord and is trusting the Lord for that spouse, you get out of the way just because you have an emotional bond with somebody and let the Lord um, choose that person and be happy, be glad, and I am thrilled with God's choice. We have a son and a daughter, by the way. Charles is our son-in-law, and Ashley's uh, not in town this weekend. And um, they have two, you know them from the church. Our son and his wife live in um, Chattanooga, go to New City Presbyterian there, and they have three little dolls. So, um, And then... All that we can do and say and all of the limits and all of the discipline rebellion that you can do, um, you know, doesn't amount to the Lord's working in their heart. So all is vain unless the spirit of the Holy One comes down. And until the Lord regenerates and changes hearts, um, and that is our, our responsibility, and that's pray, pray, pray. Um, Pray in, home, in family devotions. Pray in your own devotions. A uh, little plug at 9 o'clock on Sunday morning. There were four of us today. Ladies, men do it too. We are praying. And what are we praying for at that time? We're praying especially for David and the service and revival and lost people. And we are praying for Sunday school teachers, for your children, and for your children's hearts that God will open them because if they're not drawn to him, then all this about the, the marriage and the spouse and all of that is just down the drain. So we're asking God to work in their little hearts, uh, bring them to himself, 
give them an interest in spiritual things so that they live unto him and then give them that marriage person, the partner that he has for them. Um, I'm not supposed to divide this six minutes. So one... <laughs> I know. I'm going to just give you my favorite prayer promise, and that is in, it's in three different books in the Bible, so it must be an important story. I'm not going to tell you the whole story, though I, I love it, love it. It's um, Sennacherib from Assyria, and Hezekiah and Isaiah from Judah, and if you remember how Sennacherib just ran over and took all the countries, came into Judah, was taking their, the cities all in there, and threatened and intimidated uh, God's people. And Hezekiah goes to God, lays out the letter that they sent, and um, Isaiah brings him the message from the Lord. And this is the part that's so good. He said, because you prayed... I determined, and this is verse 21, you jump down to 26, because you prayed, I determined long ago, this is what I'm going to do. So your prayers right now, God is using long ago when he came up with his sovereign plan for your family and for your children. And so we can rest assured that our prayers today, God said, because you prayed long ago, I determined what I was going to do. I already made up my mind and... They didn't have to find it all. 185,000 Assyrians were dead the next day. So um, just hang on to the fact that God is going to bless your prayers with your children. Okay, Johnny has some practical things. Just very quickly on that. You know, apart from uh, our relationship to the Lord, um, our spouse, our marriage and what we're trying to do with our children is the most important decision that they're going to make. So I don't need to say that, I hope, because you're here, you know that that's true. Um, We've heard a lot about prayer. Well, what I want to emphasize here is we need to encourage our children to be praying, not just us. Our children need to be praying. Um, At what age they begin to really talk a little bit about marriage, about the opposite sex and dating and all, we need to get them to start praying then for God's direction in their life for marriage. The thing I want to stress today is about communication. And it's been said, but we need to talk, you know, like uh, (coughs) Deuteronomy 6 says, walking and sitting and lying down often and every day. And when we're driving in the car, when things come up, when our kids say things to us about a situation, we need to use those opportunities to talk to them about uh, relationships. Um, They're just... A lot of things that, that uh, have already been mentioned um, start early teaching them about respect for the opposite sex, uh, what, whatever uh, that means. How to treat other people is really key. Um, completing their education, my wife mentioned that. Talk about that. What does it mean if you do not have your education, but you're going to go ahead and get married? Yes, that, that often works, but talk about, um, we all know people that would say to us, I just wish that I had waited a little longer, I'd gotten my degree, I would be able to do this and that. So talk about that, talk about finances. Um, we've had a class here about that. That is so important that, uh, that our children are learning how to manage money, how to take care of resources that they have. And not only themselves, but what about the person that they're going to marry? Talk to that person about what their thoughts about um, money, about savings, about giving. Um, We want to, you know, they need to all get on the same page about these things. And uh, just ask the question, can I afford to get married? That's something they need to be questioning themselves about as they approach uh, those years when they're thinking about marriage. Um, How well do they know their potential spouse? This is so important. Take time to learn as much as you possibly can about this person that you're uh, thinking about marriage. Do you know, ask questions like, um, uh, do you want children? Do you both want children? How many children do you want? Uh, What are your interests? Are you compatible? Not necessarily that you're exactly alike, but that that you're compatible with that person. Uh, We don't have time to get into all of that. Have you discussed the difference in doctrinal issues? You know, where do you stand on on that? And then the whole family dynamics. 
You're you're marrying into a family. You're you're going to have in-laws. You're going to have uh, brother-in-laws and sister-in-laws, and you're going to be spending holidays and you're going to be spending vacations with them. Get to know those people. Take the time that it takes to get to know those people. This is one of the reasons that it was such a big deal to me, and I literally, we dated three years or so, and we were in our, you know, it's 26, 27, 28, 29, you know, we were older, and so it was a big deal to me. I wanted to know as much as I could about the person that I was going to marry, and help them to understand realistic expectations. This is not going to be a honeymoon thing. You know, the rest of their lives, there's going to be problems, bumps so. in the road, and they need to see that. They've seen that in our marriage. Hopefully they've seen how we've dealt with that, not perfectly, but they know that that's going to come. So don't run a, you know, and, and help them to realize, just like Nels was saying, this covenant, this is a commitment for life. It's not something that you, you need to go into uh, quickly or flippantly, that this is a commitment that you're making for life. And uh, just talk about all of that regularly with them. Thank you, John and Karen. Let's shift gears here a little bit. Dr. Gary Kimball has two grown daughters, two beautiful grown daughters who are very successful in their pursuits in the field of law and the field of medicine, neither one of whom are married yet, and they've been very involved in that process with him. So he's going to come and sort of tell his perspective on... Uh, and just imagine if you're a son coming to meet this man. <laughs> Dr. Kimball. My students think it's the same thing. <laughs> now, for those individuals who do have daughters, I do recommend a book. And it's called what he must be if he wants to marry my daughter. It's written by a Baptist <laughs> minister. It's quite sound. So if you want a hard copy of what you're looking for and what you need to instill in your daughters, this is a very good book. Okay? Now, Doreen was not able to be here, but she did write down some thoughts which we agreed. And, uh, surprise, surprise. <laughs> and a lot of these are duplications of what has already been stated. First of all, obviously, praying for your children and also having them uh, pray about their future spouse, encourage that. Uh, secondly, parents, parenting is about teaching and training, word and deed. We want our children to learn to know, love, and obey God and us too as their parents. Godly character does matter. It's easy to be attracted by physical attraction. Oh, they have a wonderful personality, but what's their character? But whether they like us during the process is secondary. A lot of parents get hung up, oh, my child won't like me. That really does not matter. You're looking at the big picture, folks, not at the daily routine. There are absolutes. God's word tells us what they are. No exceptions. As parents, God will hold us accountable for our obedience in these areas, and they're always non-negotiable. Tell your children this, and then enforce these absolutes. The Ten Commandments is a great starting position. Parenthood never stops. It changes forms as our children become adults. But honoring obedience to God, parents, grandparents, church leadership, government is a biblical principle, and it's for life. This will be our children's duty until they die. Respect and obedience to authority also matters in their school, even Sunday school, which I've observed in the past as a teacher here, and recreation and community life. Talk to their teachers and their friends' parents. Encourage all who have any authority over them to advise you of character flaws and disobedience as they notice it. These are the ones who observe them when out of sight. Just a comment. Sandy DeLine told us Catherine kept biting all the girls in the, in the nursery. <laughs> <laughs> but we took a vow when uh, we became members, and when we have new members, you all say, yes, you're going to help this child, you know, these parents raise their children. Now, what does that mean for you? Look the other way when they're disobedient and disrespectful? No. You have to be forceful and meet the challenge. Communication matters. As life unfolds situations, discuss other marriages with them as they view various situations that occur with their friends' friends' parents and with their friends' marriages. Marriage and, though, and who they choose to marry matters and that marriage blends two families, which we've already pointed this out, not just two people. 
It is important that both sets of parents, siblings, and the elders of their church approve of the family they want to join with ours. You may, not, you may need to say no or not yet, but dare, but dare to speak up. And we've experienced that with a, a number of young men that my daughters were interested in. And as our home fellowship group will say, we prayed them away. <laughs> Character matters and what family we're getting. Just silent. One young man, he was interested in one of my daughters, but he comes from a family where the father, where every weekend, ran off and lived with his mistress. So, what kind of an example? I mean, it's red flags. Uh, but anyway, mastery of life skills of delayed gratification also matters. Help them realize that it, it is better to be single for a season than miserable or lonely for a lifetime. In all seasons of life, singleness or marriage, encourage your children to live for God's glory and the advancement of his kingdom by being involved in their church and serving others. Passion, physical attraction, that matters in marriage also. Easier to have passion from the beginning than to have to pray for it later. For a woman, marry a man who is exhibiting leadership and working towards the, his goals. These may change, but if a man does not know what his goals are and is not responsible, work, responsibly working towards a goal, he is not ready to lead you. Now, also out of this book, there was a quote by Martin Luther about teaching your children to pray about their future spouse. Now, he uses the word pious, which most of us don't use in today's culture, but it means deeply religious. Martin Luther stated, My dear sons and daughters, you need not consider praying for a pious spouse a disgrace, for you do not consider it a disgrace to ask God to give you a sound hand or leg. Now, a pious spouse is as necessary as a sound hand or leg. For if a husband or wife do not turn out well, you enjoy few good days or hours and would prefer to have a paralyzed hand or leg instead. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Kevin and Paige Wazalewski have just been through a lot of this. They've got one recently married, one recently engaged. So they are in the thick of the battle here. And so they're going to come and tell us what they've been learning and what we can learn from them. you got a tough act to follow here. <laughs> However, I noticed something. Gary, two girls. Dr. Sly, two girls. We have two girls. You have hair now. <laughs> <laughs> You're not as old as me. Very <laughs> close. Very <laughs> close. Um, Paige Ivan. This is the third one that does it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm looking at it more. <laughs> anyway, Paige and I have been married 27 years. We have two daughters. We have Shannon, who's 23, has been married 18 months to uh, David Blanco. And uh, we have Lauren, who is 21, who will be married to Rick Strawbridge here in August. Uh, the dynamics of the two, it's pretty interesting. Um, I forgot who talked about the large family, John. You know, we're going from the Blanco family, which is really small, to a Strawbridge family, which is huge. <laughs> so it's been very, very interesting and great to meet all the Strawbridge and see where they're at uh, in their relationship with the Lord. Uh, it's been so thrilling to my heart to just see where they're at and what they've gone through. So with that, I'm going to make a few comments, and Paige wants to make a few comments at the end. But one of the things that, uh, a lot of stuff that we've all talked about is all repetitive, but one of the things that I want to discuss real quick or talk about is the approval process and what involved in our approval process in this. One, of course, it's the parents, it's our daughters, it's their boyfriend, but more importantly, it's our church community and our church members, um, and specifically our church elders. We would go through them many times and ask them about where their boyfriends were in their relationship with the Lord. And I see one sitting there, Mark Kretschko and Jim Mulaney, were very helpful in this process in evaluating um, their boyfriends. Uh, and the way we would do this is involving them in dinners, vacations. Um, and the more they can interact with our church family, the more comfortable we felt uh, as they were moving forward with, and within our relationship. So it was a collaborative effort uh, between a larger group than just Paige and I uh, and the girls. Um, secondly, I want to talk about the two foundations that we established with the girls uh, as we were going through this process. Both did not start dating until college. Uh, high school, 
Um, they did not date. I don't know if the opportunity didn't present himself, but there really was not an interest then. But as they got to college, there's two things we want to establish with them as they went away. One, their boyfriend would be a Christian, which we've heard many a times uh, this morning. Um, but two, as they started dating, we heard this also, um, when they started to get to a serious point in a relationship, uh, we want to make sure that that boyfriend was a potential husband. Um, and if it was not going to be a potential husband before we went any further, it was probably a good point to stop. Um, so, like many, we prayed for uh, their spouse and their boyfriend, fiance, throughout the years. Um, and uh, it's very, very important uh, in, in that development. And the last thing I just want to talk about before Paige talks is the, a level of trust that we have with our daughters. Uh, and it starts at a young age. And there's, I think that's two points to it. And I, I'm going to talk about Paige on this. There's a trust or relationship built as Paige and the girls are best friends, but there's also the parenting relationship, the, the, the father-daughter. Uh, and Paige was relationship as a mother with the girls and building that trust throughout the years. Um, being great friends, it was open. There was a lot of communication going on uh, between the girls and Paige on relationships, where they were, um, the feelings they had towards one another. Um, and there was that comfort level with the relationship that Paige has with the girls uh, and how those relationships progressed uh, throughout the years. So. Stay there. Okay. <laughs> um, I only had two things in there, practical things, um, carrying on what Kevin just said. I call it don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. Um, we talked about important marriage as a, as a relationship, a lifelong thing. And um, I reminded me of myself of that whenever I would have discussions with the girls. They're dating. A lot of their dating happened when they were in college. So when they would come home on the weekends or whatever, I would, okay, where are you? What's going on? What's, how's the relationship progressing? And there were times where I might have felt like I would be prying or asking an uncomfortable question. But because of the seriousness of the relationship, I felt like I couldn't skip those conversations. So I would title that as don't be afraid to ask the hard questions. That's my job. And um, the second thing, a practical matter that's already been mentioned, is I've been praying for Rick and David for many years. Even though I didn't know them, I would probably I started when the girls were in elementary school. And I would pray specifically, God bless this boy this day in his relationships, in his situations, be grooming him to be a godly husband and a godly man. Um, and that's just been going on for years. Mm -hmm. just one thing to follow up to as the girls were away, at, were away at school is we felt it was very important to know their RUF friends. Uh, their RUF, the church they were attending in Gainesville. Uh, Shannon was up in Tallahassee. It was important for us to get up there whenever we could to see the group that she was ha hanging out with within uh, Campus Christian Fellowship Ministry. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> just to make sure they were on the right path. Uh, and those they were involved with were also on the right path. So I, I, we found that very important uh, as they did go away to college. So. It was a collaborative effort. We would, I would ask Macy Valenti, or I know Macy Valenti being the godly woman that she is, she would let Christy know, who would let me know if there's anything I needed to know. <laughs> I asked David, what's Rick like when Lauren's not around? Um, we, we had dinner with Jim and Christy. Okay, this is it. This is, what, what do you all think about this? You've seen the kids together. What are your thoughts? Mark and Trisha, the same. So it's nothing that we did on our own. It's part of our church family. That, that's an amazing level of comfort to know that we have church family that's looking out for our children. Thank you. Thank you. Good job. Part of the problem with having your brother lead the class is that you get to go last. So, Mike and Mary are going to... So they've got two grown children and, grand, and uh, some grandchildren, too. I'll stand in front of the podium for obvious reasons. <laughs> our daughter, Sarah, and her husband, James, live in Connecticut, and they have our three grandchildren. And our son, Matt, and his wife, oh, Sarah and her husband are 36. <clears throat> I had her when I was 12. Um, <laughs> and our son and his wife live in Tullahoma, Tennessee, and he is 31, and she is 27. They don't have any children yet. Um, preparing for the Sunday school class, I decided to ask Sarah. I said, I didn't have a chance to ask Matt and Marina because they're away on a uh, great weekend together. 
I said, um, what did we do to help you with your marriage choice and preparation? And I was looking forward to the response about all the times in Bible study together or <laughs> the places that I took or the things we did together. She said, and without hesitation, she said, it was the time that you and Dad were willing to take a day out of our Colorado vacation because we didn't take far away extravagant vacations. I think that was our first one. She said, you were willing to take a day out of our Colorado vacation to drive into the middle of nowhere in Colorado to meet this guy's family that she had only been dating for a couple of weeks to meet his family at a PCA family camp. And I said, thank you. And then I flew home from Connecticut yesterday. <coughs> On the plane, I had a wonderful opportunity to think about the rest of that story. And it really started back in eighth grade, when Sarah was in eighth grade, coming to this church and in youth group. And lo and behold, there was a boy in youth group who liked her. Now, you weren't permitted to use the word boyfriend or girlfriend in our home, but they were in fact. And the only thing that they could do is come to youth group, so they never missed. <laughs> <laughs> and beginning then, Mike and I prayed about and had to make decisions, not just on the who's or the what's or who we would enlist as spies or any of that, but we also had to decide what would this look like for our family. And a former youth pastor then said to us, I think it would be important if on Sundays after church you would invite this young man home for lunch. He didn't come from a Christian family, and he said, I think it's important for him to learn what a Christian, how a Christian family operates. And I said, oh, no. You find a family with boys and have him go home with them or with younger, much younger and much older girls, not to our house, because there's too many blurring of the lines. Now, in fact, Mike and I did spend time with Sarah and this young man, we wanted to be around them in the church setting, but we also had this sense that we mustn't be premature at making this relationship more than it is at too early of an age. And therein, for the next, um, you know, for the rest of the child-rearing years, is trying to maintain the balance of how to be welcoming and how to get to know each other without creating a bond, because Karen and I are a lot alike. We like people, we like romance, and it's easy to just absorb them into and go ahead and start buying bride books, you know. But because breaking up is hard to do, not just for the couple, for the family. And so we knew that we had to be careful about that, and it wasn't about bad date, good date but wanting the best for them. And as Jim Elliott, is Jim Elliott the one that said, the worst enemy, the best is the good. And so really striving for that perfection. So fast forward, if we did not do that well, sometimes we did it better than other times, and sometimes we were a disaster, but fast forward to Sarah, at the end of Sarah's freshman year at Covenant College, and I went up to bring her home, pack all her stuff up and bring her home, and always what you do with, your college students, when your children get in college, you save up now because you say, let's go out to dinner and bring whoever you would like. And usually they load up the door, you know. And um, But that particular time when I said, okay, Sarah, get who you want to go to dinner, she said, well, is it okay if it's just James and me? I, and I said, sure. So this James was a young man that Sarah had known all of her freshman year. In fact, this whole group would eat breakfast every morning. She had just a month before broken up with a long-standing boyfriend from a year and a half. And James just kept showing up a little more often at other random times. And so she said, he and I have just been kind of hanging out. And so that night, as I got to know James, well, it turned out we ate at Greyfriars, where his family owned the coffee shop, and his mom and dad were in town from St. Louis. 
And that night, I observed their relationship and his relationship with his family, and it was positive. Mom, don't get too excited here. It was just positive. So <clears throat> when I brought her home the next day, and we were talking in the car, she said, you know, James and I went out last night, and he asked if I would be interested in actually dating, not just getting to know each other as we have in the group, but dating. And she said, but he said, Sarah, I have to tell you that if we're going to do this, what this is going to have to look like, because I am not strong, is we can't do anything that we wouldn't do if your dad were sitting right here. Sarah was a little bummed about that, but I was <laughs> A week later, after we were home for a week, she said the weirdest thing. You know, the week we're going to Colorado, James's family is going to be at a PCA camp there. And then an invitation came from his family for us to drive three hours out of the way and go meet the family. And that is, in fact, what we did. And um, because of her seeing our willingness to go beyond what we were normally going to do, then that created a situation where um, we were able to just, and, and, and after we finished, it was a good time, what we said to one another, Sarah with us, was, okay, so if nothing comes of this relationship, we have met a nice family. We've made some new friends. And in um, July, they will have been married 14 years. <laughs> Don't add to that mic, or are you all done? Uh, don't ask them, so when are y'all going to get married? <laughs> <laughs> I'm the train. And after they're married, don't say, when are you going to give me some grandchildren? Because <laughs> infertility is a very difficult thing. And, uh, you never, never know if that's the issue. <clears throat> okay. Anybody want to respond to any of that? Have any questions or comments? Or was that helpful? Anybody? Yes, sir. I I guess uh, we were very unsuccessful because we didn't have all this going. I and uh, but we made it 53 years. We have nine grandkids. Our kids are all Christians. There's nothing wrong with evolving into it. I don't think. And uh, I see kids coming to here that are joining the church because of the relationship with young men who don't have good Christian experiences. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. And not to say that anybody said there was, but for me, it's been an evolution. Evolution does exist, but not the way Darwin said Because <laughs> you can't get into, the into that relationship. My kids are strong Christians. My grandkids can, well, they go to different churches, but my one grandson came into the Sunday school class here a few years ago, and the teacher was amazed by his knowledge. And uh, there's something wonderful about so I think we can't start out from perfect environments. But there's nothing wrong with bringing kids into the church and evolving into that relationship with Christ. Well, we all have a lot of room to grow, and they have a lot of room to grow. We just want to put them in a situation where they we hopefully will see the maximum amount of benefit, the maximum amount of growth. And, and that's what um, Karen was talking about when she says, you know, take advantage of all these things, worship, Sunday school, youth groups, the camps. We've talked about that before. You want to put them in all these situations where they can evolve, as you say, and grow and mature in the faith. That, that doesn't mean you can't strongly suggest that this is, is not the person they should be seeing and that this is the group they should be hanging around with. You know, that supervision has to be there. Yeah, I think that was covered pretty good. No blame, no financially supporting Yeah. No blame, no glory. That's right. When they're paying Yeah. One thing that I left out is, remember that God is sovereign, and whether it be a perfect situation in your mind, or whether it be a nightmare of a situation, whatever it might be, uh, that uh, the Lord is having it done just the way it is, and be sure and be thankful for the fact that I'm trying to learn what is, that, what is the Lord trying to teach me, my wife, and my children with whatever it is that you're going through. Because uh, don't expect to uh, get to the other end. It, it's like somebody else said, it, believe me, it doesn't end. 
Just, when they're teenagers, you think it's going to be great when they get married and they're gone. Wrong. Uh, absolutely wrong. And when they move away, that's going to be better. We've got one in Chicago, one in Charlotte, one in Tampa. I wish I could be at all three places every week. Uh, it's, it's, uh, you don't stop loving them, and they don't stop loving you, uh, but it's, it's uh, and matter of fact, that one thing I didn't do, and I should say, I traveled a lot when I first, uh, we were first married, and the one reason I've got daughters I've got is because of the way my wife raised them, because <laughs> I was gone five days a week. Uh, but dads, it's very critical, and I can only speak from a, a, uh, a father-daughter relationship. It's very critical for you dads to be involved in their lives. Just absolutely, forget the money, spend time with them. I yes, think it's important to encourage people that even when you have situations that are heartaches, mm -hmm. just because you do everything right doesn't mean it's going to come out like you want it to or you think it will, and that God can redeem anything. That's right. Any situation in any relationship. Good. Chris and then Mark. I was <laughs> just wondering from the panel, um, growing, uh, kind of growing up, I always had this idea that when you're looking at a spouse, you want to look at their relationships, especially with their parents. <clears throat> and I've kind of always just thought that was a key point. And I've tried to think about whether that's a, a good Christian point or is that a, a worldly point? And because I do believe in the idea that, like we, on this theme of people come from all different kind of backgrounds, but and there's forgiveness and everything, so their relationships may not be great. But what is their stat? What's the status of the relationship? If they're bitter and angry at their parents and everything, that's probably not a good. Um, even even if the relationship is good or appears to be good with with you know. With now, just to, to that point of... Even on a comment, Gary, I think, has had some experience with that. I've heard him talk about that a little bit. Well, it was quite obvious one of the Ten Commandments is to honor thy father and mother. So regardless of how their attitude might be, what is the child's response to to honor them, regardless of the experience? So, um, well, I don't know more to add to that other than the fact, I mean, none of us live in a perfect world and none of us all have perfect attitudes towards our parents and some of our homes that we come from are extremely dysfunctional. It does not erase the fact we have to be obedient to what God tells us to do, even if the parents, in my mind, might not be worthy of this honor. That's immaterial. Right, I guess, you know, I'm thinking it's like you were saying, there's a lot of broken families, a lot of, a lot of dysfunction out there. That doesn't mean that, but I, I always look at the heart and what's their response to that and to their parents. There still can be some problems, but are they respectful and are they? Yeah. Um, I think they'd all say you're on the right track there. Yeah. Mark. Yeah, I was just going to say real quickly, kind of a, a little funny story, but, um, you know, and I walked in a few minutes late, so I may have missed some of this, but obviously I think a big part of uh, we have two boys and two girls. So a lot of it involves uh, the conversations about Christ and, and his church and all those things like we talked about, but perhaps the most important thing is how they see, as how my son see me uh, have respect for Tricia mm -hmm. and the respect that I demand that they have uh, for their mother and that uh, for our daughters, how Tricia comes and works uh, to my side and helps me and how we make decisions together and uh, and how we try and outserve one another each day. But a real funny story, when Drew was, uh, our oldest was about seven or eight, um, we were having one of those conversations where I was discussing with him how important it is for a young man, a young boy, or even an older man to treat young girls or uh, ladies. And I could tell he wasn't quite grasping it, and so I said, you know, as an example, Drew, you, as a young man, need to hold the doors open for, for young ladies, including your mother, and including your sisters and girls at school. That's just one of the things that we expect for you to do. I could see his eyes, you know, things were rolling in his head. And he said, well, Dad, I, I've got a deal. I have a deal I'll make with you. And I said, all right, what's that? He goes, I will hold the door open for my mother, but I will not hold the door open 
You'll hear things along the way as to how your <clears throat> children are doing because their friends will report it to you. Um, two of the girls that Joel has dated have come to me and said, I've never dated a guy who is more considerate of me than your son. So I thought, well, perhaps I'm doing something right. Perhaps the modeling in the home has um, taken effect. They, um, they don't necessarily learn so much by what you tell them, but they learn by what they see. And they will tend to do what they see happening in the home. So by um, treating your spouse with respect, um, then they pick it up. Okay. Anybody else have anything? We appreciate all your comments and, and uh, participation. Let's pray and we'll go. Father in heaven, thank you for your presence with us. Thank you that you give us guidance and direction. Thank you for all these comments this morning. I pray that you would apply them in our hearts as um, you see fit. Be with us as we go to worship today. That we would be um, have hearts that are open and receptive to your word, we ask in Jesus' name.